Burning Zozo Written by Kristen Knight Narrated by Nancy Peterson Section 3 Definitions 3.1 Cross A massacre of black and white shards lay at her feet. Thousands. Andy couldn't breathe. It was as if her lungs had forgotten how to move air in and out. Coughing, she tried to jumpstart the intake. She sank to the floor. Scooping and pinching, she tried to gather the pieces, but the clay was so old it turned to powder in her hands. Finally, in frustration, she smeared the dust across the floor, her tears dappling the powdery mess. A hand touched her shoulder. She whirled and found Adams standing above her. Oh, oh, I'm so incredibly sorry. I, I, I'll repay you if I ever, in my lifetime, possibly can. Please, I... Here. He handed her a handkerchief monogrammed with the letters A-C-A. -A. Clean your face. She just held it, not wanting to dirty the starched cotton. Go ahead, he said. That's what it's for. She took off her glasses and cleaned the wet clay from her cheeks. Miss, he reached out his hand. She wiped her palm on her jeans and then put her hand in his. He pulled her to her feet. I'm Arius Adams. I know, she said. And you're Andy? Yes, sorry. Andy Scoggin. He held her hand and just looked at her. Then he shook his head. Forgive me for staring. It's just that you look remarkably like someone I knew once. The hair is different, but other than that, you could be her twin. Who? Someone from my past. He finally let go of her hand and stepped back. Now, why don't you come with me? Someone else will clean this up. Not Mr. Chen. Please not him. Arius didn't answer. He just turned and walked through the door. She followed Adams's strong shoulders and glossy hair to the large office on the top floor, trying to calm her choppy breath. She'd never been fired before, and didn't quite know how to act. He gestured for her to sit on a tufted leather couch facing the windows, then poured two Cokes at the bar. Her hand was shaking when she took the first stingy sip. Chen shouldn't have left you to take down the collection alone. Arius sat across from her. It gave him a good view of both his new helper and the monitors on the wall behind her. Stripes of colorful stock numbers streamed across them like moving Hopi rugs. Being so new, it wasn't quite fair, was it? He was even more beautiful up close, his eyes deeper, his skin more perfect. Andy could only look at him for a second or two before she had to look away. He had to take a phone call, she said. Well... At least now you've passed probation. His voice was smooth and metered, hypnotic. 
She wiped her cheek. Don't you mean failed? No, I mean passed, he said. You will never drop another one of my artifacts again, will you? Andy's throat went dry. No, sir, she swallowed. Never. So, you see, I can trust you completely. He sipped his drink, watching her over the top of his glass. Can't I? The ice in her glass trembled slightly. She set it on the table. Arius leaned forward. Really, it will be fine. How will it be fine? Her voice cracked. I ruined it. Well, first, because I'm extremely well insured, and secondly, because I have other pieces in the collection similar to the one that broke. When it comes to my assets, I always have a backup. A plan B, whenever possible. But... Mr. Chen told me to be so careful. He said you were so... What? Particular? He smiled. Chen believes that order protects me somehow. But you and I both know that life is messy. What's the saying? You have to break a few pots to make a souffle? He didn't smile at his own joke. He just coolly gazed at Andy. She couldn't tell if he was making a joke or not, so Andy offered a semi-smile, just in case. Adam sat back and swirled the ice in his glass. I made a good deal today because of your quick work. Easily one hundred times the cost of the pot you broke, and the cost of one casualty is a small price to pay for such a rich reward, don't you think? She cringed. What was the cost? From that collection, ten, twenty at the outside. She lurched forward a bit. Twenty million dollars? No, no, he chuckled. I wish Pueblo pots were that valuable. No, twenty thousand at the most. She sighed. Still, I'll be thirty before I'll be able to pay you back. He watched her for a moment, then asked, do you feel like you need to pay me back? Yes, of course, she said weakly. Interesting. He sipped his drink, but barely took in any liquid as he watched Andy. But I'll have to do it a little at a time. I have other debts. Maybe Chen can take some from each paycheck until it's done. He smiled softly. I'll have Chen make arrangements if you'd like. Thank you, Mr. Adams. Adams brushed back his hair, folded one ankle up onto his knee, and suddenly looked ten years younger. Please, call me Arius. Everyone that knows me calls me Arius. She nodded and said, Yes, Mr. Arius. He smiled, flashing snow-white teeth, and chuckled. I suppose that's the best I can hope for at this point. Perhaps one day you'll feel comfortable enough. I'm sorry. I just don't... I'm sorry. He shook his head. Never mind. Now, I like to know a bit about the people who will be working with me, under my roof. He twisted his black watch, but didn't look at it. Okay. Have you always lived in Santa Fe? 
His British tea gave the town's name a crisp, almost exotic sound. Yes, I was born here, like most of my family. He nodded slowly. From what Chen says, the domestic arts are not your ultimate career aspiration. Um, well, I really like this job so far, and I... He held up his hand. No need to be false. I won't take offense. It's only natural that a job like this is meant to be a stepping stone for a bright girl like yourself. Andy swirled her glass like Arius had. It is? Yes. Adams glanced at the stock tickers, then back at Andy. So, what would you like to do with your future once you've stepped from this stone? Be a lawyer, I guess. You guess? Or you know? No, I know. A judge would be cool, too. Adam smiled. Yes, I imagine it would be. He swirled his drink. And you have the grades for it. How do you... When it comes to people in my inner circle, Andy, I do my homework. I hope you don't mind. She shook her head and considered what he meant by inner circle. No, I don't mind. But it doesn't matter what my grades are now. College is never going to happen for me. Why is that? Long story. Well, I've got time. Arius rested a sculpted arm on the top of the couch. If you're willing. Andy adjusted in her chair. Well, my dad lost his job. And if he doesn't find a new one by fall, I'll have to drop out of day school, give up my honors classes, the debate team. Then any chance at a decent scholarship and decent college disappears for me. What is your father's profession? He's a handyman type. And those positions are rare in Santa Fe? Arius asked sincerely. She tipped her head to one side. Getting a job for my dad isn't as simple as answering an ad on Craigslist. Adams raised his brows. It's complicated. He's got issues. But I shouldn't talk about it. He wouldn't like it. Sorry. Adams turned off the screens with his remote, placed his drink on the table, and leaned forward, his powdery cologne suddenly washing the room. The combination of his scent, caffeine from the soda, and her own adrenaline made Andy dizzy. Arius looked intently at Andy, his face washed with earnestness. Don't be sorry. I deeply respect discretion and loyalty. He rose and picked up a photo of a small boy, especially family loyalty. Arius gazed at the black and white image. I know what it feels like to be betrayed by those who are supposed to love you most, protect you, care for you. His voice quieted. It's the deepest pain you can possibly experience in life. And the longest lasting. Andy pushed up her glasses. I know what you mean. Arius looked at her, his brow crumpled. Really? Do you? 
I hope that's not true. Yes, sir, I do. He shook his head. I'm sorry to hear that. You know, Andy, I don't have much family left, and because of my lifestyle, very few real friends. I like my staff to be more than just employees. I'd like it if we could depend on each other, like Chen and I do. Would you like that? She nodded, then sipped her drink. Adams gazed out the window. It's strange. People spend their whole lives chasing fortune, thinking it will make them happy, make relationships easier. But money can poison the people around you, change them, and it's nearly impossible to know who will remain truly loyal over time. So trusting people is risky for me. You can trust me. Arius turned and held Andy's gaze with his soft, dark eyes. I believe that. I believe I can. He gave a gentle smile and set the frame on the shelf. Now I have something for you. Me? What is it? He pulled an envelope from the desk. The advance you requested made out to whispering mountain maids. Two weeks' pay. Oh, she shook her head. Thank you, but I can't take it now. Not after what I did to your pot. Please keep it. Really? Well, if you insist. He fought to keep from smiling. But let me know if you change your mind. Chen said you seemed rather anxious about needing it. He set the envelope back on the desk. Now it's late and your parents will be wondering where you are. I'll have Rand drive you home. Rand watched Andy in the rearview mirror the entire way down Las Campanas Drive. Andy kept her gaze out the window to avoid meeting his. As they drove under the freeway, he finally spoke. How old are you? His voice was tense. You look young. Too young to be working in that house. I'm 16, she said. I'm totally legal for full-time work. Rand exhaled a long, choppy breath, then without saying another word, pressed the button to close the glass separating the front seat from the back. Nice talking with you too, jerk, Andy mumbled and pulled out her walkie phone. She arrowed to the listing for Adam's residence and read the ten numbers over and over, infusing them in her mind and body. Then she changed the contact name to Arius and pressed save. 3.2. Cuffed. The double wide was deathly quiet when Shane got home. He sighed with relief. There were no small faces looking to him for things he couldn't provide, no dead-eyed wife slipping through his fingers. Then he heard a sound from the girls' room and swung the door wide. Andy and Jenna knelt on Andy's bed, peering through the window at the Airstream trailer next door. Steph and Luke were on Steph's daybed doing the same. Having a Boo Radley moment, are we? 
Shane asked in his best movie-line voice, Benny and June, 1993. Instead of a chuckle from his kids, Shane heard a scream rip the air, so high and out of control that his body instinctively ducked. Holy hell, what was that? Anna's boyfriend is back, Jenna said, and drunk. The Scoggin family had always known that Anna Lucero's boyfriend was a coyote, even though she'd never admit it. He'd been running Udocs over the border for money or drugs for years. A few years ago, when he was caught and deported, Anna said she'd never see him again. But the Scoggins knew that was just wishful thinking. Por qué? Anna screamed. The sound of glass breaking, then flesh hitting flesh, echoed out of the trailer. He's hurting her, Andy said. Daddy! Steph started to cry. Shane stared through the blinds, tight-fisted. You're okay, Steph. He won't hurt you. I can't watch this, Jenna said, pulling her keys from her pocket. Jenna, take Steph and Luke with you, Dad said, his brow twisting. Okay, come on, guys. She reached for Steph's hand. Seconds later, the tires of her beetle spat gravel against the metal walls of the mobile home. Andy glared at her father. Are you going to do anything? You know I can't, Andy. He watched the scene through the glass like some sick circus freak show. Lights went out in Anna's trailer. Then another scream. Seriously, you have to do something. Andy held out her hands. Stop pushing. Shane's eyes were fierce. Don't you think I want to go over and yank her out right now? I've got my own family to protect. Well, if you don't, then I will. She spun on her heel. Shane grabbed Andy's arm, yanking her back. Pointing a finger in her face, he threatened, Don't you dare. Andy glared at her father. His eyes were tight and his nostrils flared. He squeezed her wrist harder when she tried to pull away. I won't have you tangled in that mess. She tried to yank free. He clamped down harder. Ow, okay, she finally said. He let go. Spanglish obscenities spewed from Anna's trailer in a deep, sloppy voice. She sobbed and mumbled something about her children. Andy clutched the windowsill. We have to do something, Dad. Shane pulled at his soul patch. I just need to think of a way to get rid of that scumbag without cops. If they show, it'll put her in a bad position. What he really meant was, if the cops showed up, it would put him in a bad position. If they fingerprinted him or dug into his history at all, he'd be gone, permanently. A thud banged in Anna's trailer, and it rocked on its footings. We can't just sit here watching him beat her to death. Shane pulled his phone from his pocket and dialed. Andy yanked on his arm. Dad, you can't call the police. I'm not, he said, and turned his attention to the phone. Dante, yeah, it's Shane. Anna Lucero's getting the crap beat out of her, and I can't call the cops. How fast can you get here? Shane peered through the blinds. Nah, about my size. Drunk. 
Okay, good. What? Yeah, bring your gun. Minutes later, a red truck lumbered into the carport, spitting gravel beneath its heavy tires. Out poured Dante and four other men, holding baseball bats or guns. Shane met them at the front door. She's in the airstream behind us. Her kids in there? Dante asked. No, just her. Shane pushed his hands into his jeans pockets. Look, I didn't know who else to call. I don't want to put you in a tough position, man. I, I just can't get... He searched for the word. Involved. I know. It's okay, hermano, Dante said. Jimmy will pull the truck around in case the cops show. Besides, we can get out of here if we need to. You're stuck living next door. You sure? Dante patted my father's arm. Yeah, man, we got this. The men marched around the house, gravel crunching beneath their heavy feet. Shane went back to kneeling on Steph's butterfly pillow, hidden and peering through the glass. Dante fat-fisted Anna's door and yelled, Open up! then waited. When the door didn't open, he cocked his shotgun, pointed it at the sky, and pulled the trigger. The blast echoed through the horseshoe and beyond. I said open up, Gabron, or the next shot will be through the door. Anna's door swung wide. The coyote stood in the opening, hands wet with blood. Dante grabbed the man by the front of his shirt and pulled him face first into the gravel. He groaned and mumbled something about money as the other four men held him down. Dante went inside. He was gone for a long time while the beater wriggled on the ground like a hooked fish. Neighbors in the horseshoe came out to see about the gunshot, but none of them moved beyond their own front steps or called the police. They wouldn't do that to Anna. Finally, Dante emerged with Anna in his arms. Her silky black hair was soaked in blood, and there were gaps in her scalp. A broken nose and bloodied eyes distorted her face so badly, she looked like someone else. Shane pressed his forehead to the glass, then said, Andy, get some clean towels and the first aid kit. Dante laid Anna on Shane's couch while the other guys threw the coyote in the back of the truck. This time, Anna's wish came true, and the coyote never came back. Dante never talked about where he took him, and everyone knew better than to ask. Anna begged Shane not to take her to the hospital. She knew a police report would be filed, and she'd be deported, have her kids taken away, or both. Instead, Shane tracked down Mrs. Thompson, a neighbor who'd been an army nurse. She reset Anna's nose and stopped the bleeding. Shane found someone to watch Anna's kids, the Ruizes, and someone else to feed her dog, the Johnsons. Then he called her boss and told her Anna had been in a car accident and wouldn't be coming to work for a few days. When the lady asked who was calling, Shane lied and said, her brother. After some skillful negotiation, Liz convinced Anna to stay the night. Wrapped in gauze and surrounded by towels, Anna slept on the couch with her hands crossed on her chest, still as a corpse. 
At exactly 2.03 a.m., Andy got up to use the bathroom and saw a figure standing over Anna in the dark. Dad? Andy whispered. What are you doing? Doesn't look like she's breathing, does it? I don't think she's breathing. Andy held her hand in front of her nose. Soft breath brushed her fingers. She's okay. Shane didn't move. He just stared at Anna like he didn't believe it. Andy touched his arm. Are you okay? He pulled away. Go back to bed, Andy. But I... Now, he barked. Andy obeyed. For two more hours, Shane stood there with his arms folded, watching Anna struggle to breathe. Eventually, he found a blanket and settled into the lazy boy, Anna's guardian, until the morning light. <laughs>